Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Enjoy today's show. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. My name is Leslie Lamb, and I'm the host and producer of the Crypto Unstacked podcast, and I'm here today guest hosting on Real Vision. Today, I am joined by Hauk Lee, co-founder of Trinity Investments. Trinity Investments is one of the top 15 family offices globally by permanent capital size. And they're one of the first North Asia-based family offices to actively deploy capital in digital assets uh, starting from 2017. So I'm really here speaking with a seasoned investor in this space. And Hoke, I have to say, I don't get a lot of cold outreach from family offices uh, to hop on the podcast. So when you did, it really took me by surprise. And I'm so glad we're doing this today. Yeah, glad to be here, Leslie, and share my thoughts on this exciting space. So before we dive into the world of family offices, would love for you to tell us about your coming to crypto story. Okay, so basically, uh, all my professional career, I've been uh, on the investment side uh, as an asset manager. And uh, before investing in crypto, um, when uh, when I established Trinity with the backing of uh, my uh, principal uh, billionaire investor, uh, we were investing primarily in uh, residential real estate, in emerging markets and, and frontier markets, as well as uh, mostly in art. Uh, we shied away from kind of the tradition, traditional 60-40 formula. And uh, we stayed uh, as far as away we could from uh, instruments like fixed income, just because we didn't think that would uh, provide kind of the uh, wealth uh, accumulation or even preservation, uh, if you will. Um, so I think starting from uh, 2014, 2015, uh, every time that uh, I had informal meetings with uh, the heads of the Southeast Asian uh, family offices. Um, I, I was just struck by uh, in how, uh, how they viewed uh, digital assets, particularly Bitcoin at that time, and uh, you know, kind of the portabil- portability of that asset, as well as the verifiability uh, of that asset. And uh, so they, 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 to me, were, were kind of the inspiration of uh, how this uh, asset um, could really... Uh, be a, a great fit uh, towards a family office that really didn't need to uh, invest uh, during a, an investment cycle or have uh, kind of a limited time frame in terms of uh, you know, investing and exiting their investments. So, um, you know, I think internally we made a decision, okay, well, let, let's start deploying capital once uh, the total market cap of digital assets, assets uh, hits above $10 billion which pr- would provide enough liquidity for us to uh, start having a meaningful position. And so that time came um, kind of towards the end of uh, 2016, early 2017. So, you know, I got myself ready uh, studying for about a year, uh, just talking to a lot of people in the space, uh, you know, in terms of how to play this market. 
And uh, so, you know, we first started deploying capital in 2017, uh, primarily in Bitcoin. And fast forward five years, kind of uh, through trial and error, we've uh, developed kind of a more uh, broad-based uh, uh, approach and a separate unit for uh, managing our digital asset uh, class. What's the story behind the permanent capital that you guys were able to mass over the years? Right. So we started out in uh, early 2000s um, and uh, we focused basically on two uh, investment classes. One was residential real estate uh, in emerging markets and frontier markets. And obviously, uh, back then, before the age of uh, Bitcoin, uh, if you got the countries right at a macro level, they provide the uh, great tailwinds for the uh, land prices to uh, give you that exponential return. In addition to the uh, current uh, rental income that you could generate, uh, which is a great way to compound our growth. Um, and then on the other uh, end, there's art. And uh, you know, if, you, if you're able to go to auctions and amass a, a collection of scarce hard art, uh, of, of hard asset uh, in a collection that's desired, uh, and, you know, in 10, 15 years, that, that's also going to provide you with uh, exponential growth in terms of the value. So those have kind of been the true uh, drivers of our permanent capital uh, increase before we uh, started uh, investing in uh, digital assets in 2017. So what's really interesting that came out of the conversation we had prior to this interview was the question of, you know, why aren't family offices, especially the multi-generational families, um, you know, why aren't they typically first movers when it comes to investing in new industries? So not just crypto, but other types of industries as well, um, more broadly speaking, technology, right? A lot of people have this question, so I'll just, you know, punt it over to you. Um, it's, it's just, it's fascinating because so much of the media focuses on, hey, this is how this, you know, trend is developing. You know, you get a lot of retail people excited about it, but yet the family office space, you know, still tends to be a little bit more reserved on that end. Okay. Well, I think I have to kind of break that down geographically and as well as kind of the, uh, the, you know, whether at what stage is that wealth, is that old money versus new money? Right. So, um, you know, if you have kind of the, uh, geographically, if you have the North American family offices, the European family offices, and then, you know, kind of the uh, Asian family offices, you have three broad uh, clusters. And within kind of the three clusters, you'd have, uh, you know, is it kind of first generational money or is it like, you know, fourth generation? And so it, within kind of these different bucket pools of capital, there's going to be uh, biases and prejudices and uh, partiality towards uh, kind of different asset classes. Um, you know, if it's an old European family in their fourth generation, um, for them, it's probably going to be about uh, wealth uh, preservation. And they're probably going to be, uh, you know, more inclined towards a kind of a conservative approach, the generally 60-40 approach towards asset management versus kind of on the other uh, end of the spectrum. If it's a first generation U.S. tech billionaire family office, then they probably would be very... Uh, uh, open towards, you know, uh, trying to invest in the next uh, unicorn or decacorn um, and so forth. So I think a lot to do has kind of uh, 
you know, who the, the principles of that family office, what, what is the origins of their wealth? And so that I think would dictate a lot of the uh, investment philosophy behind uh, how the family investment offices, how that particular family investment office uh, goes about doing business. For example, uh, when I referenced the uh, Southeast family, uh, uh, Southeast Asia family offices that I talked about, uh, that I was inspired by, uh, you know, th those uh, those uh, family offices, their operating companies have tended to be overseas Chinese uh, founders, and the operating companies would be kind of, um, you know, doing business in uh, in more uh, less stable geopolitical environments. So they they would have kind of more uh, open mind towards you know how pragmatic and how useful a certain asset it is towards meeting you know their uh, their requirements versus kind of a more uh, conservative third generation or fourth generation European uh, family investment office. So I, I think that, that that's kind of um, the ends of the spectrum that you can't really generalize um, and. Uh, Okay, so the uh, overseas Chinese uh, family offices are uh, primarily based in uh, Southeast Asia. They have had a history of operating under geopolitical uh, uncertainty. So, you know, their uh, culture will tend to be more focused on, uh, you know, is you know a something uh, that has a real use case and something that's pragmatic. Um, and so, you know, digital assets is something that, you know, uh, obviously uh, gives them that in terms of the port of portability. Um, you know, if there's a rest or turmoil and they need to get go somewhere, uh, you know, on their private jets with uh, different passports, <laughs> that it's just tailor-made uh, for their needs. Uh, if you contrast that with uh, kind of a very conservative, a uh, third generation, old money European uh, family investment office, then the investment manager of that uh, family office is going to be less uh, inclined to uh, stick their neck out and uh, try to dabble their feet in uh, the latest tech stock or the uh, you know, or, or an emerging investment class so that that's i think that's why you can't really uh, lump uh, them all together because they're coming in with uh, different biases and different cultures and approaches at looking at uh, different investment classes Hey there, revolutionaries. Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and get unfiltered access to the most brilliant minds in finance and crypto. Join our community of lifelong learners for exclusive access, unparalleled education, and unbiased insights.